of Mr. Nice Guy, Ben Slowey. Today on the show, uh, I have one of my really good friends uh, that is in town from Madison. She's in grad school over there. Uh, she and I used to work at Metro Market in oh, Sherwood together. <laughs> God damn. Uh, wow, that was, yeah, that was a uh, very cold, dark era. Of I would my say life. For everyone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I would say everyone working there had yeah. that experience. Yes, but uh, that's how we met. Uh, so something good came out of it, right? True. Uh, yeah. So she's um, she's a very dear friend of my of mine, and I'm glad to talk to her a little bit about where we're at in life and whatnot. So Eileen Stillwell, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm honored. You're welcome. Uh, I'm glad to. I'm glad you agreed to do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, why not? Mm. Have you been interviewed like this before? No. <laughs> Good. I love when people are totally like new just to like, it. Where so, do I look? Yeah, yeah. yeah like, do I look at the camera the whole time? <laughs> just staring into the soul of the viewer. Yeah, no, I mean, I like to treat it as we're just having a conversation, hanging out. There just happens to be a camera, a camera. there. Exactly. Yeah, okay. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, how are you doing today? I think I'm doing pretty well. Always, you gotta think. You can't yeah. be sure. Um, you have to assess everything <laughs> like it, in the day so far. Yeah, yeah. you gotta yeah. kind of look back. Um, yeah, I'm just here for the weekend, visiting family, hanging out. So mm -hmm. it's it's been nice to be back. I wouldn't say nice to be home sure. because it doesn't quite feel that way anymore. But yeah. it's been nice to like see the people I love. I guess mm -hmm. is what I'm trying to say. Mm. I get the same thing with uh, when I go back home too. It is very like disorienting because like the environment that you were raised in just like feels so strange when you're away from it for some time yeah. and then you are back here and you're like, damn, like this doesn't feel like home like it did before. Exactly. It feels like, you know, I'm visiting, I'm visiting like an old memory of sorts, but yeah. at the same time, like, you know, not much has really changed here, but I feel like I've changed. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Know? And I feel like it's just like to grow and to like move on in my life. I have to kind of be willing to like let this part of my life go and not like in a way where it's like, I can never think about it. I didn't learn any lessons. I don't have people I love from this era of my life, right. but it's kind of like, it's not where I'm at anymore and like to honor that and then like be able to go forward in my life I kind of have to like let go of the nostalgia a little bit mm -hmm. which feels very weird because yeah. I did grow up here my entire life right and you went to school here too yep so you kind of like you're kind of dealing with that a little more um a little later than a lot of people that like left for undergrad yeah. to like go to school and dealt with that a little earlier on but because you like also went to college here too like I imagine it's kind of hitting you later than most people but that's fine like because I mean you know you're yeah like you're only you're only an hour away but yeah. it still can feel so like distant exactly I was gonna use the word distant yeah yeah 
And I feel like most people in my cohort in grad school are like very settled. A lot of them went to UW, like undergrad. A lot of them are married mm. or like have like very long-term partners. Yeah. So it feels like a lot of the people around me like know where they belong and where they fit in in this in this life. Mm -hmm. But um, to like not really have that like anchor, yeah. especially when like a lot of people around me do, it's very like disorienting yeah yeah for sure uh, um yeah so um how is uh grad school treating you so far academically academically <laughs> i love it yeah. i really thought that i was going to be like overwhelmed to the point of crying every day and that hasn't been the case i really like everyone in my cohort because public health which is what i'm going for is such a broad field it's not like we're directly competing for like the top spot or the same job so people are very like chill and they'll help you if you need it whereas i've heard med school is very like cutthroat so mm -hmm. i'm glad i'm in a different kind of environment um yeah, it's good. I'm taking biostats, which is not oh, wow. so good. Yeah. Well, good. yeah, my sister went for public health. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, and uh, so are you, like, uh, interested in, like, uh, public policy of sorts? Not so much. Oh, that's, okay. like, that's actually what my advisor is. They were like, they paired you based on, like, your interest. Then he was like, I only do healthcare policy. And I was like... Wow. <laughs> oh. Well, um, yeah, so what, uh, I guess, like, what's, like, your personal focus with your I'm studies? really interested in, like, the social and behavioral components of public health and kind of, like, the things, like, way upstream. We always talk about upstream versus downstream in terms of healthcare. And I'm really interested in kind of, like, addressing the reasons behind the roots of why people get sick. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really like a really easy example to follow is like people don't exercise and then their cholesterol goes up, they don't feel very good, they have high rates of depression, X, Y, and Z. But if you just treat them, you give them pills, you're ignoring the fact that maybe their neighborhood doesn't have a park mm -hmm. or they don't have a place like for their kids to play or they're working three jobs and they don't have time to exercise. And so public health is really about like going back a step and like looking at like, well, why is that? like what's going on in their life that I could help adjust to make it easier to be healthy. Mm -hmm. And then you can even go a step back from that and be like, well, why isn't there a park in their neighborhood? Why do they have to work three jobs? And the answer is almost always like structural inequality, yeah, racism, right. you yep. know, like, right. <laughs> like yeah. sexism, homophobia, transphobia. It's like always it's all intertwined. Yeah. yeah. And there's always the intersection of that as well in different communities. So for me, I love it because you can't be a good public health practitioner and not also be like a social activist. Mm -hmm. Like just to ignore like, well, racism is the reason all these people are getting sick, but I'll just focus on like giving them medicine. I don't think right. it's very effective. Totally. Especially because of like our healthcare system yeah. and like how privatized a lot of it is and like how a lot of people just can't afford good mm -hmm. coverage that, you know, gives them the, the medicine or the treatment or the, you know, procedures that yeah. they need. Um, and that, in turn, contributes to our dependence on pharmaceuticals, mm -hmm. which is, you know, we, we know big pharma and uh, how much it's uh, yeah. profiting off the addictions of many people and also how 
stress contributes to like even on a physiological level stress contributes to the weakening of the immune system mm -hmm. which makes us even more sick yeah <laughs> so basically yeah public health is trying to like do more preventative stuff sure yeah. so you don't get to the point where you're so sick that you have to see a doctor yeah. and i do think that clinicians do the best they can i think there's really a system now where it's like get people in and out in 15 minutes fill out the paperwork that's your job mm -hmm. and i think that that really does them a disservice because it's easy if someone has like strep throat like 15 minutes is fine for that you do yeah. the swab you get them antibiotics but if someone comes in with a complex health history and they're like well i have this pain but i don't really know why i have trauma in my past it's kind of like we have 15 right, minutes right. like what how how could i help you in yeah. 15 minutes mm -hmm. so i think the system is broken and i always want to say that instead of like doctors are broken because that's not the case i don't right. think yeah exactly like a lot of them are very well qualified or very well trained or like they know what like you know the proper uh ways of uh like catering to a patient's needs are but like you said the system just kind of like puts them in like a ceiling you know mm -hmm. like you can only do so yeah. much yeah and, and it makes us more dependent because mm -hmm. we're sheep because we're f <laughs> okay this took a turn oh, i know it, well we said as we said before you know it's all very uh, interconnected mm -hmm. um you know makes us easier to control but yeah but um yeah, so uh, what are the classes that you're taking uh, so far? So I took a social determinants of health class, which was really about those bigger issues in society. I'm taking an epidemiology and biostats course combined, so that's obviously a lot of statistics about you know, medical science. But it's also about designing studies and experiments like to actually get the research. And then I'm taking a really cool course with Barb Durst, who's great. Shout out Barb. It was shout out to Barb Durst. And it's basically you are partnered with a community and then for the whole semester you design a project based on a need that that community has. And then you present it at the end to the community and hopefully it helps them in some way kind of get things rolling. Mm, sure. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Cool stuff. Yeah. Um, is like the how is like the workload in grad school different than undergrad? Um, it's a lot of reading, I would sure. say. It was just like a lot of reading. I think in undergrad I could kinda like skim by and be like, Yeah, it's fine. Whereas grad school it's more like I need to know this. You feel like <laughs> actually give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> and like most people going to grad school hopefully like want to be in school whereas mm -hmm. I feel like undergrad there are a lot of people who feel like they just have to go so it's like a different mindset mm -hmm. for a lot of people I think sure totally so with like your own um I guess like we'll, we'll bring it to a more personal level like sure. so with um your I know you, like you you know you've dealt with health issues too and like you know that's the reason you're here for an extra day yeah. uh uh because of your doctor's appointment and like I guess like with your own experience like how I guess like has that sort of contributed and or kind of shaped your perceptions of what you're studying and the system of like your own experience like dealing with like 
doctors and and treatment and what whatever yeah so i have a lot of horror stories about doctors where it's like they either gave me medicine that was like not appropriate or like they didn't believe me and for a long time i was like i want to be a doctor you know like i want to fix things and i think being in hospitals like going to see specialists all the time was part of that it was just so familiar it was what i knew mm -hmm. and then i actually went to honduras for a public health internship and there's some issues with that going to other countries to you know learn things especially in the health field yeah but um that was my first exposure to public health the first time it was like well, what even is this? And I thought, like, if you wanted to be in the medical field, you had to be a doctor. Mm -hmm. And so I think seeing those bigger issues that I always knew were at play for myself, like having a disability from chronic illness, you know, you know, not being believed as a woman and stuff, mm -hmm. seeing them, like, addressed in a public health manner, I was like, oh, that could be for me. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. In ter and in terms of... Uh feeling like not believed as a woman like you feel like you were not acknowledged by the current system in a lot of ways i think so i it goes from like kid up until like when i know first yeah. met you um when i was a little kid i had all these health problems and everyone like i had a doctor called me the mystery patient to my face mm -hmm. because i just like no one could quite figure it out and it got to the point where they sent me to a pain clinic and the pain clinic just gave me medicine like mild opioids and oh, damn. yeah not great for a 15 year old yeah, right. to take opioids twice a day but um they told me they're like we don't really know what's wrong but we're gonna make you like more comfortable and then it turned out that i just had a neurological disorder and they put me on the proper medicine for that and i got so much better so quickly but there were so many people who were like well the tests are coming back inconclusive so yeah. maybe it's in your head or maybe you're just over dramatic and then right around the time I met you, I actually had a pulmonary embolism, which is a blood clot in your lung, which is very dangerous, like mm -hmm. can move to your brain and kill you. Yeah. But um, I called, I was in so much pain, I was like almost throwing up, I was like sobbing, and I called my doctor and they were like, well, it sounds like you either pulled a muscle in your chest or you had a cold recently, so you probably coughed so hard that you got like some swelling mm -hmm. in between your ribs. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I w ended up going to the doctor because I was like, this isn't getting better. And she walked out of the room and then came back and was like, let's do this test for blood clotting in your system just for fun. And they called me the next day and they're like, you need to go to the hospital. And I was like, what? I was like, you told me I was fine yeah, yeah. for like a week. You just let me walk around for this for days. And so, yeah, there's just been a lot where I think it's partly like people don't value women's pain the way they do mm -hmm. with men, at least like traditional like cis men, cis women especially. Yeah. But um, also I think it's like being chronically sick and chronically ill, people want to like fix it and when they can't, they're kind of like, well, maybe it's not real. You know, right, if right, I can't yeah. fix it, maybe it's you're just experiencing something crazy. Yeah, for sure. And that that just you know, it goes back to the systemic subordination of women and the realities. Um, I actually just last night uploaded um, my episode with my friend B, mm. who uh, she like dealt with. She also dealt with a lot of health issues um, and. 
you know, is disabled and was for like up until she was 30, like was told a lot of the same things by doctors, like you're being dramatic, it's yeah. all in your head and like um, being like misdiagnosed or wrongly medicated, like which is a horrifying reality. I've never had any personal experience with that, like um, other than like it's like if I if I was telling my like issues that I've dealt with to a doctor and they attempted to erase or minimize it, you know, I would feel, you know, ever so hopeless or even more miserable. And I mean, also just simply the feeling of being kind of like sent off. Yeah. You know, where like you're like just. Them along right you're fine right yeah. yeah like where you're just given like a, a temporary solution to a long-term problem and that in your case like getting the opioids like which yeah is an epidemic of itself yeah um that you know is um some of the most like heinous malpractice of you know of the healthcare slash pharmaceutical industry it makes the patient more and more dependent on, you know, further treatments. And, and in that case, it just gives the farm companies more money, you know? Yeah. And I think my thing was that, you know, I was from a pretty well-off family. We had insurance and like, we still didn't know how to work the system. And, you know, they would be like, well, you need a spinal tap, which luckily I got out of. But we would be like, I don't even know like what you're looking for. And like right. you put so much trust in medical professionals because you're like, they know and I don't know anything. Yeah. So like especially as a kid, like you're not gonna like scroll through medical journals mm -hmm. and like figure out the latest treatments. Yeah. But it's really like hard that the system can take advantage of that yeah. and like just dismiss people mm -hmm. who don't know like the right questions to ask yeah and one thing that i've started doing like when doctors have been really like resistant to like helping me i'll be like i want you to mark in my file that you did not give me this treatment or you did not like take this test i want it written that you refused and usually then they're like okay we'll do it you know they don't want that in your record in case something goes awry down the way yeah because then it's like oh no she asked for this and i didn't mm -hmm. do it yeah it almost like makes you think of like you know if there's any kind of like ulterior motive um you know that like doctors have or if there's some sort of like, there should like if there's some sort of agenda that they're fulfilling like for the, the industry that they're working within like it's i mean it's kind of like an existential like conspiracy type fear to have but like it is really terrifying it's like when you ask a doctor for help and they just don't help you you know like it's and by all means like there's plenty of great great doctors like when i went to the mental hospital almost three years ago now and was you know over at columbia st mary's for four days like um the doctor that like assessed and treated me he gave me three choices mm -hmm. like 
doctors should be giving you choices. You know, yeah. I think that that's like what's really like some of the best good a doctor can do to properly help you. Because at the end of the day, like while a doctor might know what's wrong with you or that they might know like how to treat certain things, you still know yourself and what's best that's for you true. most of the time. And the doctor gave me three choices with how I would go about treatment. He said, you know, you can either get the, the quickest route, which is the route that, you know, a lot of doctors seem to default to take, which is like, put me on a benzo. Um, so, so I have like the quickest acting short term uh, benefit to uh, cope with anxiety. Two is a combination of therapy and a medication that takes more time to work. So that was that ended up being the route I ended up taking. Mm -hmm. And then the third route was no medication, all therapy. It'll probably take the like all talk therapy. Yeah. It'll probably take the longest to you know see uh, to see benefit. And you know like I felt very like seen and heard. Mm -hmm. Felt very like actually like you know, like acknowledged that the doctor like was willing to kind of work with me and sort of hear from me with like what I, uh, perceived as like the most, um, the most ideal treatment for myself. Yeah. And I feel like that's how doctors should be interacting with every patient, not just, we don't really know what to do to help you. So, uh, take this and, you know, and like, that should do the trick or, you know, or we don't really quite know what to do. So, you know, just be on these highly addictive and potent drugs that are going to cause more problems for you that are going to require further treatments that are going to cost you more money and might not even actually help you in the long run anyway. Two things with that. I think that most doctors genuinely are compassionate helpful people, I think the system they're in is usually what yeah. kind of limits them. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't, I hope that there isn't like a big conspiracy theory of people like just trying to like... They make movies about that. Have you ever yeah. seen Rosemary's Baby? No. Oh. <laughs> I have the hair though. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. <laughs> That's like a movie about kind of like a, this whole conspiracy about this woman and yeah. what these people want with her baby. but. Yeah, like that's kind of like a, it's definitely like an existential fear. Yeah, and then the second thing I want to say, just to be clear, is that medication is not inherently evil. I know that like I would personally not be here if I did not take the medication. Oh, right, by all means, yeah. So I think there are some instances where people do just want to give you medicine instead of looking for the underlying problem, underlying problem which is what happened to me. But I think there are some people, including myself, who need medicine and they like need to be on the doses they're on mm -hmm. and it genuinely helps them. So there is a balance, I guess is what I'm trying to say between like giving a 15 year old opioids and you know, for migraines, not even for like cancer. Right. And then, you know, like maybe taking mood stabilizers mm -hmm. so you don't have suicidal ideation oh, totally. you know there's a big difference i think yeah i mean by all means like meds are great i've been on my meds for almost three years and you know they definitely did wonders for me and have 
allowed me to function in society. Mm-hmm. Um, meds are not like I'm definitely not saying that like meds aren't like uh, aren't necessary. Like I, by all means, they are. But it's more of like I guess what I was getting at was more like just sent off and not being like properly assessed in order to you know in order to treat you in the most proper way and even the fact that like you know there's still the issue of like you know I mean as we were talking about earlier as well like just how women and femmes or people that were assigned female at birth like are just kind of like not believed or not or just not given like the extent of treatment to which like yeah and i think it's important also to realize that like there's always bias you know there's like people want to say like science is like completely unbiased and there's like no way that like our influences could ever like change our experiments and that's not true like there's always a bias there's and the way you grow up the way you're raised the society you are in in our society specifically in this case is going to influence how you look at results how you even take the like Mm -hmm. scientific measures so i think it's important to realize that like even in the things that are supposed to be like sacred and like perfect like it's not you know what we know and what we've been taught like really sneaks in to everything Mm -hmm. yeah it's wild how everyone's reality is so subjective you know there's very little like objectivity in like what's real or what's true universally because depending on where you grew up who raised you, you know, like, what experiences, what life experiences, like, have led you to believe what you believe, fear what you fear, care about what you care about, like, you know, there's some, like, it's, it's, yeah, like, it's, it's definitely, like, bias is just inevitable, and that's why there's also no such thing as, like, unbiased media, either, like, news, like, you know, like, it's kind of just at that point it's like you you identify with what you feel most closely aligns with your own personal morals and ethics and whatnot yeah that makes sense yeah. this one down existential yeah, yeah. it did it, t- <laughs> it tends to for sure yeah um yeah but on uh on the note of like what kind of what we were talking about earlier like i whenever i go home I always feel sort of that detachment from my surroundings, like when you the the, the feeling of the the odd feeling of like this doesn't really feel like home like it used to. Like yeah. I get that a lot when I go back home too, and like um, and it, I mean it's kind of like encouraging in a way that like it sort of like reaffirms you that like you are in. Like that you're like uh, growing. Yeah. 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 That you're in an ideal place for where you're at in life. That like you know it's good that you've moved on and ex- are experiencing new things, thriving in a new environment. Yeah. And that by all means does take adjustment. And uh, I remember like the summer home after our, like freshman year, like that sucked because it's like, oh, these are all my old friends. What do I talk to them about? Yeah. I don't know how to like. I don't. We're all in completely different cities. Completely different you know, 
we have like completely different friends. It's like, you know, you can only relate to everybody so much. Yeah. Like at that point from then on. And it, it's very like, it's disorienting for sure. And I think part of it for me is that like, I haven't lived in the same place for more than a year or two since I was 18. Mm. Like, I started school in Minnesota, went to Madrid, came back, finished here, went to Peru, you know, moved to Madison. So it's been a bit of bouncing around, but Milwaukee was always like home base. Yeah. You know, like yeah. my parents' house was home base, and now it doesn't quite feel like that. And I don't really know like why mm -hmm. that shift has happened, but it has. And I think part of it is just like, at some point the environment like i had done all the growing i could there yeah and i and like not to say that like if i really worked at it i couldn't like continue to grow but mm -hmm. like it just felt kind of like that plateau had come the stagnance yeah. yeah and like that wasn't anyone's fault it wasn't it's just what happened so i think it's good that i moved but it's also just very like weird <laughs> like it feels very weird yeah yeah so you were in peru for how long five months five months that's right yeah i remember being so excited when you came home yes um, yeah what were you so what was the work you were doing down there that was a public health internship with a um public health organization based out of portland in oregon and they are there year-round, they have people on the ground year-round, and I went just to help out as like an international intern, yeah. Um, what was the work, kind of work you were doing while you were down there? So it was a variety of things. Their, their mission is to like kind of support programs that are already there that Peruvian people are doing. Mm -hmm. So there was one about getting medical access for disabled children living in poverty on the outskirts of Lima, which was hard I would do home visits once a week and to different neighborhoods I would spend about two hours on the bus each way mm -hmm. and um damn yeah <laughs> it's like Lima no one really realizes but Lima itself has 11 million people in it and then Callao which is surrounded by Lima has another two million so they're it's a big city it's a big big city but um yeah, so I saw a lot of kids who were described as having cerebral palsy, which is what sure. they describe most, like, growth disabilities as. Like, if you have trouble with development, they typically call it cerebral palsy. Mm -hmm. But there are also kids with seizure disorders, you know, like, problems with glucose, all sorts of things. There are also programs they help support homes for boys who have been orphaned or given up or taken from their families for safety reasons. Um, there was a program helping nurses and midwives learn how to resuscitate babies within the first couple minutes of life if they were stillborn, or not stillborn, but like had trouble when they mm -hmm. were first born. So it was a variety of things, but it was all linked with Peruvian-based programs where they were like, there's a need for this. And then, you know, we were kind of like, well, what can we do to hold that space for sure, you? Sure, sure. Yeah. Nice. It's almost like, uh, sounds like somewhat similar to some, like, AmeriCorps kind of stuff. Yeah, or like Peace Corps kind yeah, of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, totally cool. Uh, what was it like kind of adapting to Peruvian culture? I feel like I thought it was going to be harder than it was, which, like, I just thought I was going to struggle for, like, the first right. three months, you know? Yeah. 
But luckily I went in speaking pretty good Spanish so nice. I could like get around. The first two weeks, everywhere we went, I was just like, where are we? What bus are we on? Show me on the map where this neighborhood is. What direction are we going? So within the first month, I could take the bus on my own, which was really helpful. But it's definitely an adjustment. And I feel like a lot of people go to countries like Peru that are, you know, both developed and developing at the same time. Because there are billionaires in Peru. There are mm -hmm. sky rises, you know, what are those called? Skyscrapers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But you know, like, there's wealth and people think of it more as like, you know, developing. They think of it as very poor sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like a lot of people go there kind of to be like, I roughed it. You know, like, I went and like, oh my god, you should have the stories I can tell you about how different it was. And that kind of made me mad <laughs> mm -hmm. that like that was the mindset people had going into yeah. it. I feel like that's definitely a very American thing. Yeah. Very like Western chauvinist, like, oh, we're the best, most developed country in the world and everything else is like way behind us. But, you know, I mean, yeah, like, yeah, there's a lot of really huge, like global cities in South America, definitely. Mm -hmm. Like, a lot of those capitals of, like, a lot of those countries have, like... Millions and millions Giant, yeah. Are They're metropolis. Hugely developed, yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think the main difference between, like, here and Peru is that, like, here it's pretty steadily developed all over. You know, there are definitely areas that are, you know, not taken care of in the way they should mm -hmm. be. They don't have the effort, like, and the resources put into them by the higher-ups that they should have. So it's still, like, classism and stuff like that. Yeah, but, like, in Peru, I would go from the nicest part of Lima, like, rich beyond belief, and within an hour and a half, I would be, you know, places that didn't have running water, you know, places built into sand dunes. Mm -hmm. Kids didn't have bathrooms who had cerebral palsy. I was like... And just that, I think, was the hardest thing, to yeah. be like, how is there this much wealth and this much, like, you know, just like, all of these good things, and then we just ignore the people on yeah. the outskirts. Yeah, yeah, it almost like, kind of right, like, I just think of the movie Us. You I see it? I've seen that. Um, I, I heard it was scary, so I didn't see it. Was it. A little, it, was, it was a little scary, <laughs> it, like, I mean, it was a great movie. Um, Jordan Peele's a very, like, creative director because he blends a lot of elements of many different, like, film styles, like, into, like, one big, like, um, sort of, like, emotional roller coaster. So, like, there were elements of horror, there was some thriller, some comedy, but also just some, like, really, like, deeply, like, societal exploration. Mm -hmm. um, so, like kind of how like he he speaks to like how like the movie kind of like deals with how like you know there's all these people like up at the top and then like underneath like in like the underground sphere is like people that are just struggling so much that yeah. are like basically have to live like animals to survive and like they're entirely oppressed their existence isn't even acknowledged and that just speaks to the uh to just how like classism 
and capitalism and just how categories have been used to divide people and to put people into oppression whereas others you know are you know live with all the wealth all the resources like everything they need because they have power and uh, you know it's what's plagued society civilizations from history like we also think about like you know ancient civilizations where like the whole like there is like the royalty and like you know it's like depending on what job you had determined how wealthy you were or your placement in society and then there's like the untouchables the people that are like homeless they're poor you know are beggars essentially you know history has unfolded technology has developed civilizations have expanded and now it's like people are much more like people are able to take care of themselves in a lot of different ways now but still like a lot of that oppression is still there yeah i think power is like the main thing to hit on in this situation you know if you don't have power like you aren't going to be able to change much you know if you don't have political power economic power it's just you get kind of stuck in Mm -hmm. one space but i think it's important to remember that like and something that Peru taught me is like even underneath like when you're being you know in the worst situation that I could possibly imagine a lot of the families I saw were full of love and Mm -hmm. full of happiness and there were always benefits in their life there was always something that they could look at and say this is going well and like I think that's a big mindset but I also think it's really important to remember that like I think it's easy, is what I'm trying to say, to like look and be like, wow, this person has nothing, that sucks. You know, mm-hmm. like I pity them. Yeah. But there's always something, or usually always something in life that you can be like, I'm excited totally. about this. Yeah. This. Yeah. I think that, and I think that we say that out of privilege. Yeah. Being like, oh, we have all of these things that this person doesn't. If I was living like that person, like I, w- I don't know so how I would survive, yeah. you know, but. Yeah, like, that's beautiful, someone that can find such beauty in life with so little. Yeah. Um, finding, always finding something to be grateful for, something to look forward to, like, just finding joy in, you know, in the little amusements or little intricacies yeah. of life. Um, and I think I struggle with that a lot because I just, like, get swept up in feeling stressed out or, like having a time where I'm really sick and it's easy to be like, God, like this sucks, you know? And just kind of be like, yeah, my life is good, but like I don't actively take time to be grateful. It goes back to the subjectiveness of reality, you know? Yeah. It's like, it's all shaped by what your lived experience is. And yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But it sounds like it was still like very positive and very, Oh, it's um, awesome that you know yeah. you got to have that experience though. Yeah. No. It's eye opening. That's good. Hello, Eileen. Hi. Um, well I think we had a great talk about many things. Many things. The the healthcare industry, public health, pharmaceutical industry, um, you know, uh subjectiveness of reality, uh, you know, 
being grateful for things. I think we, we hit on some, uh, some very uh, key points here, yeah. here. So tell me what keeps you up at night. Um, like in a good way or a bad way? Either way. Whatever. Weird dreams. Weird dreams. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I had a dream. I woke up the other day and I was just going, I'm not wearing the right clothes. <laughs> <laughs> I get really odd dreams, too. My meds gave me, like, really, like, uh, like uh, profoundly, like, vivid dreams and yeah. shit. Like, gotta start, like making notes of them a dream journal yeah, yeah. just start doing that because i always try to tell people about them and i immediately forget most yeah of the cool stuff yeah same same here uh what puts you to sleep though um just knowing that i'm safe and loved yes you are um oh, thank you. yeah i i love you i love you too i think you're wonderful and i'm glad we could do this yeah me too so uh thank you for watching mr nice guy um Keep questioning the system, and uh, but also take your meds, and you know, keep uh, asking your doctor good questions, and um, also just uh, remember to be grateful for, you know, the the many uh, provisions that we have. Thank you for watching, Mr. Nice Guy. We'll see you next time. Bye.